Good morning, and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. If you're ever in Uptown Columbus, we invite you to stop by and say hello. We'd love to see you, have you worship with us. We'll make you feel like family. At First Presbyterian, we are family. Learning together, growing together, worshiping together. Scripture. Sing aloud to God our strength and shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song, sound the tambourine and the sweet lyre. Sing aloud to God our strength. Let us worship God. David wrote these words about acknowledging his imperfection before God in the Psalms. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. 
I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. In humility with penitent hearts, let us also acknowledge our guilt before God together. Almighty God, you poured your spirit upon gathered disciples, creating bold tongues, open ears, and a new community of faith. We confess that we hold back the force of your spirit among us. We do not listen for your word of grace, speak the good news of your love, or live as a people made one in Christ. Have mercy on us, O God. Transform our timid lives by the power of your spirit and fill us with a flaming desire to be your faithful people, doing your will for the sake of Jesus Christ our Lord. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Friends, hear and believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. children would come join me up front. Hey, how are you guys doing this morning? I have to tell you, I had trouble coming up with what to say this week. I really did. So here's what I've decided to do. I started thinking of one of my favorite stories of all times. And it was the rainbow fish. Have you, any of you ever read the rainbow fish? Okay. Well, in the rainbow fish, what happens is rainbow fish is beautiful. And he thinks he's the greatest one in the ocean. And there's a little fish that comes up to him and says, Hey, would you share with me? Can I have one of your scales? You know what rainbow fish said? No. He was ugly and he was mean. And pretty soon he found out that he thought he was the greatest, but he was the loneliest fish in the ocean. And so he asked for some help, and he said, what do I do? And an octopus said, you need to share. You need to serve others. You need to help others. And so that's what Rainbow Fish did. He started sharing his scales, and pretty soon, he may have not been the greatest or the most beautiful, but he was the happiest. You know, this reminds me of a story in the Bible. In Matthew, it talks about how 
the mother of the sons of Zebedee, I know, they couldn't just say James and John, knelt before Jesus and she said, Lord, please, when you go to the kingdom of heaven, would you let one of my sons sit on your right and one sit on the left? Because she, like every other mother in here, thinks that her kids were the greatest, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. But you know what? Jesus said, hey, listen, you know, it's not always the greatest. In fact, whoever wants to become great among you has to serve others. See, the Son of Man didn't come to be served. He came to help others. It's kind of that, have you ever heard the thing, the first shall be last? Have you all ever heard teachers do that? Yeah, I've done that before too. That's kind of what Jesus said to everyone. And you know what? I think that's kind of what the rainbow fish figured out too, that he had to serve. He had to kind of become the least of these before he could become great. Let's pray today in three, two, one. Dear Lord, help us remember that you are the greatest. And in order to be like you, we need to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's go to Children's Church. first lesson comes from uh, the, the second chapter of Philippians, uh, a letter written by Paul to the emerging Christian church in that city. In the first chapter, Paul speaks of his uh, joy at being able to evangelize. Paul is evangelizing to the guards that have him imprisoned as he is under house arrest. Uh, it's uh, sort of a first century Christian version of if you're given lemons, make lemonade. But it's a uh, humbling example of how uh, we are called to find our joy in Christ, not in our worldly condition. In the second chapter, Paul shifts his focus to the church in Philippi. Listen for the word of the Lord. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete, be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was born in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, 
taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. those who are able to please stand for our second lesson, which comes from Matthew's Gospel in the 20th chapter as we continue this series on the kingdom. And then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked a favor of him. And he said to her, What do you want? And she said to him, Declare that these two sons of mine will sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? And they said to him, We are able. And he said to them, You will indeed drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left, this is not mine to grant. But as for those to whom it has been prepared, by my father. When the ten heard it, they were angry with the two brothers. But Jesus called them and said, 
Do you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them? It will not be so among you. But whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. That awkward moment when. Maybe some of you have played that parlor game. I've also seen it played out on Facebook, where you begin the sentence by saying, that awkward moment when, and then fill in an awkward situation. Someone might try to outdo the other in terms of something that just happens in life or something that one has observed or maybe even been a part. As I was working on notes for this and listing some awkward moments in my own life uh, and others, uh, two came to mind. One involved the wedding of a friend, Doug. I was in his wedding, and uh, several weeks before the wedding, there was the bachelor party, and there were a group of us gathered uh, from different points in his life, and among other things, we reminisced about his uh, dating life up to this point, and making reference to several of his former girlfriends and um, our thoughts on the particular candidates. Now, there was one, uh, Carla, and uh, Lee did not like her. He said, I, you know, I thought she was superficial. I thought she was you know, shallow, uh, an airhead. I was pretty critical, which surprised me. Uh, Lee had been Doug's roommate at the time. Uh, but it surprised me that it was that harsh about Carla, because personally, I actually did like her. I knew she had some faults, but I, I did like her. I thought she was a front runner. Well, anyway, Fast forward to the rehearsal dinner, and there I am at the singles table. Now in itself, that was a little awkward because um, the single ladies at the table were all 21, 22, 23, 24, and all the single guys were 31 to 36, and they thought, here we are sitting with these old men. And of course, the guys, we are trying to impress the young ladies because we know things can happen at rehearsal dinners and at weddings. So anyway, we are there trying to be cool, and a conversation came around a little bit about our, our friend. And in the course of it, uh, with another one of his groomsmen, a friend from, from days gone by, uh, made a reference to Carla. And a slightly negative remark about her, not as harsh as the fellow had said at the bachelor party, but nevertheless, I made a remark that was a little negative about her, and Lance said, well, I always liked her. At the time, it felt very awkward, as opposed to a chuckle about uh, a dating misadventure, I kind of slammed somebody in front of them. Very awkward, but we quickly changed the subject and went on to other things. Then I remember a woman sharing a story of being a dinner guest in England. She was traveling in the country and she's trying to impress this very sophisticated group of Londoners that she's not some bumpkin from the USA, that she is worldly, that she is knowledgeable, that she has savoir-faire, that she has followed all the latest news and she's up on everything. And there's some interesting conversation going on about Margaret Thatcher, 
uh, just you know, comments, some stands that she had made, statements that uh, had taken place, and um, talk about the political climate in the country at the time. And uh, she wants to get in her good question to get the conversation moving along. She says, well, do you think she's going to call a general election? Pause. And her host says, the general election is tomorrow. Awkward right there. Awkward moments can happen at any time, and in fact, I've had two this morning. You see, I've got with me the 845 bulletin in my concern to make sure I had everything in place uh, for today. I did not pick up an 11 o'clock bulletin. I'm looking at that saying, hmm, called to worship and there's no Coral Introit. Oh, well, Tom's been away and he didn't have a chance to get them warmed up, so I immediately come up for the call to worship. Now, I'll bet if you look at those 11 a.m. bulletins, there is a call to worship from the, the choir. So I apologize now for my awkward moment of forgetting that. Sorry, I'm awkward right there. <laughs> or not only that, I came in, I saw the Bible open to Philippians, and I thought, hmm, I thought I left it in the middle. And uh, let me flip it back to keep everything just right. And then I see Rob up here flipping it to Philippians and making small talk. He had prepared it in advance. Um, awkward moment number two. I'm hoping there will be no awkward moments number three before uh, the day is, is done. These are all awkward moments. And we have an awkward moment here in the scripture. The mother of the sons of Zebedee, and that is James and John, those remember maybe a song from Sunday school or vacation Bible school. You did your hand like a ship and said, Peter, James, and John in the sailboat out on the deep blue sea. Well, anyway, James and John, they are part of that inner three along with Peter. And their mother is there to ask a special honor for her boys. Now, give her credit. She sees something great, something big in Jesus, even if she does not fully get it. For many of the disciples do not always get it about Jesus themselves. And she seems to have asked on her own initiative. Uh, at least initially she asked. Her sons may have known because they were with her, but she seems to have asked on her own initiative, may they have this great honor of sitting on the right hand and the left. She's asked it, and Jesus speaks, and of course the other disciples are aware of it, and we have a double awkward moment. One is the fact that she has asked this great honor and it has upset the other ten and why they are upset. Not because they think she has overstepped as much as they're thinking, I want to be on the right hand. I want to be on the left hand. I want this glory that's coming too. Jesus handles it smoothly and he follows up with a very good point. To, to, to her request to them and actually then to this point looks to the sons and says you do not know what you are asking are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and they said to him we are able and he said to them you will indeed drink my cup but to sit at my right hand and at my left this is not mine to grant but it's for those for whom it has been prepared by my father he does not put them down. He lets them know, yes, you will drink from the cup. And he directs it otherwise. In fact, it's very poignant that he says these words to these two, two men. 
because James will be the first martyr among the apostles. And John will be the last to die. He will die in exile, the only one not to die a martyr's death. And so in a way, it is poignant that these two boys, these young men, they will be the bookends of the apostles, the first to go and the last to go. But Jesus does not leave it at this point. He is aware of awkwardness now among the men, and he takes the conversation to a higher level. When he says, "Whoever and it is not so among you, as he's talking about the Gentiles, they love to lord it over one another, it shall not be so among you. Whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man came not to serve, to be served, but to serve. Did not come to, to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. In fact, before this episode with the mother of James and John, Jesus is speaking to his disciples when he says, and he's going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside by themselves and said to them on the way, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to, him to death. And then they will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and the third day he will be raised. He's letting them know what is going to happen, and then we have this episode. He reminds them again, he came not to be served, but to serve, to give himself as a ransom for all. Now, I must admit, at this point, I am at an awkward situation. I can easily go straight into examples of how we can serve one another, all noble and good, and leave it at that. Or I could leave it with a simple call to be polite, to always play through those polite rituals that we have. Notice this, particularly in my mother's side of the family, I saw this growing up with, with my grandmother, that after a family meal, you had to go in and say an offer to may I, anything I do to help clean up. And then, of course, you must be refused. And then you must offer again. And then you must be refused again. On the third time, you must offer. Is there anything, I, seriously, is there anything I can do to help? On the third time, your hostess, being my grandmother or some other great lady, at that point, she will either say yes and give you a task, or B, say, no, I, I'm really, I've got it all under control. And then you're at that point, you're freed to go do something else. Again, we all, I grew up with that dance of etiquette, nothing wrong with it. Um, but there's more to it than just that that we have in this message. And it's even awkward in a way to speak about servant leadership because that's part of the corporate culture of so much of this town, something I've heard about uh, since I first came to Columbus. So in some respects, it's like bringing coals to Newcastle. But nevertheless, to be truthful to this passage, we have to go to the root of what is being said here when Jesus says, you know, came not to be served, but to serve. And that is why 
I used the illustration as our first lesson from Philippians, so I'm going to go back there. Now, Philippians, just a refresher course here, is one big thank you note. Paul is in prison, as was stated earlier, and the Philippians, with whom he's had a very good relationship, send him a gift. I'm sure there's probably some notes in there, how you doing, we're praying for you. And as somebody to check on his welfare that would report back to them. He is touched and he writes this note to them. He has a good relationship with the congregation. And really, even based on the evidence in the letter, they seem to be doing pretty good. Uh, some of these congregations that, to whom he writes, they've got problems. They have a few around the edges. Uh, two of the women, who, or two of the leaders in the church who happen to be women, uh, Yodoa and Sintiki, they're having some kind of difficulties. We don't know what. We don't know if it was just betwixt the two of them or if it was spilling over to others. But he urges these fellow workers to live in peace. There's some false teaching nipping at the heels. Um, not really in the church per se, but around the edges. There's some references to it. But overall, this church is doing very well. They're a high B, a low A, if you were to give them a grade. I say low A because, again, nobody is perfect. Paul is speaking to them, encouraging them, but he even challenges them to take it to a higher level. We begin in verse 2. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, and when he's even saying if, it's in a way we might say today, if I am your friend, and you know that I'm your friend, that way we sometimes begin our sentences, same way in Greek. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing of the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, and all these things are already happening amongst the people in that congregation, then make my joy complete. He's not saying this like, come on team, win it for me, not doing a guilt trip, but basically saying we are part of one big family. I care deeply for you. Let's all together make this joy even greater. Then be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of, and, and of one mind. Do nothing from selfishness, selfish or ambition or conceit. And again, this is one of those, don't stop doing it, just do not start it. They're in a good situation. So do not start doing anything from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interest, but the interest of others. And this is the clincher. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And then he begins a long section here where he reminds them that Christ Jesus was and is God. He was there before. He was there when the universe was created. He was there along with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, at creation, at the call to Abraham, at the call out of Egypt with the Exodus, sent them into exile and brought them back out again. And Jesus set aside his divine attributes, some of his divine attributes and his prerogatives when he became also fully human and lived among them. And in that time that he was here on earth, he was lowly among his people, serving them. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore God has also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bend on heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Reminder that all, one way or the other, everyone will at one point confess Jesus as Lord, admit that he is Lord. So Jesus is the one who first humbled himself down amongst them, amongst the people, and now is, of course, back in, in heaven. That is the clincher. He was obedient. And that is why we live a kingdom life when we serve one another. Not to be good or nice or to be polite, but because Christ did that first. And ultimately, we do it in the power of the Holy Spirit who equips us, makes it possible because just being good, being nice can get very tiring after a while on your own effort. And so with that in mind, I think of those who have modeled it for me. I think of Charlie who worked with a group of us, this is some years ago, who was one of the most grace-oriented people I ever knew. Now, he was a very strong man physically and in terms of character and whatnot. And when he gave you grace, it was not, oh, please, I'm the leader and I want you to like me. It wasn't out of weakness. It was from his strength that he gave us grace and served as an example. Found out what was your favorite treat. It was M&Ms for me. There were M&Ms in my room. Somebody else had another treat. That was in the room when we first got there. It's because of that example that even I've got this list of 25 ways that a husband and father can be servant leader to his family. I'm not going to do all 25, but a reminder, this is how or why that call is there. So such things as accept spiritual responsibility for the family. Be willing to say, I'm sorry and forgive me to the family. Follow through with commitments made to your wife to build trust. Anticipate the different stages of a child's life and be able to be appropriate, whether it's as a coach, as a counselor, as a consultant, and later with adult children as a colleague. Frequently tells his wife what he likes about her. Prays with his wife on a regular basis. Initiates meaningful family traditions and ceremonies. And there are others here. But why is that call not just be a good guy, but because Christ modeled that leadership for us first in serving others. I think of in Charlie, I think of this list. I think of a story that goes around in our family told about my great-grandfather. This is actually the great-grandfather that I knew. He had grown up on a farm in western Piedmont, North Carolina, and um, they were very active in the Methodist Church. And they were the, always the ones who hosted the circuit-riding preacher, little churches that were around in, the, in that area. And there was one that came there that he rode up to the house, or to the barn, really, with his horse, and uh, pretty much dropped off his horse there and expected the boys to stop their farm chores and to do all that it takes to uh, saddle a horse and take care of that horse once it is there. And um, so they had to stop, they had to do it, and he was off on his way. And in fact, the boys had a naughty rhyme they did based on his last name, which was Postel. 
Y'all can figure it out. And uh, they got caught for that one too. But then there was another minister. When he came up on his horse, he got off his horse and he took care of all that business on his own. He made conversation with the boys, not in a way to disrupt their chores. They could keep on working and, and keep on talking. But he did all of that himself. Years later, my great-grandfather became a dentist. He did his dental work for free, so impressed by what he had done. Whenever I've seen these advice lists for young women about what to look for in a future husband, there's an interesting question asked, or interesting point made. Watch the way he treats the waitstaff at a restaurant. Watch the way he treats people who, in no direct way, can advance his career. I even think of somebody who had made some great speeches about, and it was another situation, but said, we need to be more you know, inclusive and tolerant, caring, compassionate, uh, broad, very, very broad-minded what he had to say. Then somebody related to me, later we were at the restaurant and I watched the way he treated our waitress and the words ran, rang hollow. Now before I get too cocky using these other examples, preparation for this sermon has made a lot, me do a lot of examination of myself. Of my own times I've shown entitlement, a sense of entitlement in my life. I've had my own reminders of how I have fallen short, and I'm sure many of you all could now, well, we remember once or twice, Jones, you kind of blew it too. We love you anyway, but we remember when you blew it. I'm reminded of my own need of God's grace in my life. Those memories have been, some have been rather painful, have convicted me, have led me to confess, and to continue relying on God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to step up to that challenge in public and in private. It makes me more grateful that grace abounds and the Spirit is at work. The kingdom life does involve serving one another and seeking ways to serve. The kingdom life even lifts up service over self-promotion, which is very countercultural. It does all those things because Jesus Christ himself set aside all of his divine prerogatives and chose to serve us and to give his life a ransom for many. Amen.
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, giver of every good and gracious gift, we humbly seek your blessing on this worship service that we might glorify you today and find rest in the Sabbath. We thank you for giving us your son, Jesus, who came not to be served, but to serve. Embolden us, Lord, to serve as he did, to comfort the sick, to stand with the downtrodden, to feed the hungry, to provide solace for those who mourn. We ask your blessing on the church that you might continue to grant us favor and empower us to love you with all our heart, soul, and strength. Place your word on our hearts, Lord, and help us to impress it on our children. Let your spirit of peace fall like rain on your people, God, to hush every angry voice and restore us. Lord, we commend to you the prayers on our hearts. Hear our prayer, O God, and hear us now as we pray as Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. It is good to see you all today and ask those who are here to please sign in the attendance pads at the end of your pew. If you're a guest, please include your address, then back to its point of origin, and be sure and extend that right hand to fellowship following the worship service. Also send greetings to those who are watching in a hospital room, at your home, watching us live online now, or will be watching us later through TiVo or just, again, you can access us online later in the day. Welcome, and also to those that are at Spring Harbor. Our Reverend Hasty, Reverend McKelly, and many of our youth are at uh, Triennium. It is a big national Presbyterian youth conference at Purdue and we'll be returning on our church family supper on the 31st of this month. They'll be sharing about that opportunity, as well as many who are on a mission trip with Widow's Harvest earlier this month. After this trip with the um, Trinium, we've got a group going uh, of middle school students going to the, that conference, so they'll be sharing about it too. Also on the 31st, we'll have opportunity to um, Bill sack lunches. We set a record, I was told, uh, by Bill Poovey that the last church family supper when we did that following the program. So about, 10, about 20 minutes uh, is all it takes. Wonderful time of fellowship and a wonderful time of serving others. In this time of prayer, I want to, in the weeks that, days that follow in this week, I want to commend, um, and again, Hampton um, let me know that this morning, he knows I'm about to share this, um, some of you already know, Lanny Bishop is not doing well, son of um, Art, Art and Amy Bishop, that he is actually now under hospice care um, down at um, Brunswick, St. Simon's area. But also, sad news that yesterday, his wife Susan passed away. Uh, they believe it was heart-related. Uh, they're looking for the answers as medically what happened. Uh, but she has passed away, 
Um, he is under hospice care and having to make some arrangements. Uh, I'm sure none that he thought he would have to make in the midst of all of this. Um, Hampton's here. Please uh, be sure and speak to him in this um, following worship or during the week. And remember that family in your prayers at this time. With a moment of um, heavy moment for us, uh, let us continue our worship as we present to God our tithes, our offerings, our gifts, and our very selves.
Gracious God, we return these gifts to you and humbly ask your blessing upon them that they may enable the work of the Spirit and that these gifts we might glorify you in our community and wherever you call us. Amen. ceasing, and in all things give thanks, for this is God's will for you, in Christ Jesus our Lord. And now may the love of God our Father, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.